Good morning. You have to press the right button so that this thing will work. Okay, now it's working. So good to have you with us today. And many blessings to you as we look to a new school year. Those of you that are teachers, we are blessed to have you in our fellowship today. Those of you that teach in public school as well as in Christian schools or private schools, and maybe even in one of our colleges or universities here. It's a joy to have you with us, and it is a reminder to us to keep you all in prayer, because education today is uh, suffering from a, a lot of uh, governmental interferences. I can say this because I was a teacher once, too, in the public school, as well as in private school. Now, the private schools, of course, you know, we're blessed to have because we can teach about Jesus in every class while still maintaining uh, our disciplines that we teach. But not so in, pro- in public schools. So I, I, I'm so blessed to... Uh, be able to encourage you who are public school teachers today that we love you, that we care for you, that we pray for you and ask God's blessing upon your new school year. Now, I know that those of you that are from Socorro District, you, you already started about three weeks ago, so uh, we'll catch up with you uh, today. But we want to pray for you this morning, and we want to ask the Lord's blessing upon you. But included in this prayer... I want to pray for uh, the brokenhearted. It's been a burden on my heart this week to know that there are so many people in our fellowships, in our churches, that fall under that category of being brokenhearted. There are a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes we're brokenhearted because we've suffered some tragic news or or some burden in our life or we are brokenhearted because we know of others who are going through some great pain in their life and, and we're burdened by that but I want to encourage you that Jesus himself when he went into a synagogue one day and I'm sure he did more than just once but he went into a synagogue one day as is recorded in the scriptures and, and when handed the scrolls to read them He read about himself. And he said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted. And I know that today God wants to heal your broken heart. But I want to encourage you all not to let just one person pray for the brokenhearted wholesale like today but that you pray for them. That you on a daily basis would, would bear the burdens of others as we are commanded in Scripture to do anyway. And to pray for God to heal, to strengthen, to encourage. Because there is a lot of pain and hurt around us and, and among us. So I want to keep that in prayer as well. And then... We've been asked to, to pray for a, a family who's celebrating their 25th anniversary, Mar- Martin and, and Martha Perez. And, and we just thank the Lord for them. And they're here this morning, and so we want to thank the Lord for you all. And may God bless you in, in, in your marriage. And, and uh, should the Lord tarry, we've got 50 more or 25 more years, make it 50. <laughs> but we ask the Lord's blessings, and we will pray for you today as well. So. Let me have you teachers, public and private, uh, college, uh, university teachers, teachers in any discipline of that sort. I want you to stand, or if you're an administrator in the schools as well, please please stand. We want to pray for you today. Notice how slow teachers are in standing. Okay, here they go. All right. Praise the Lord.
And would you please join us uh, as we pray for them, as they stay standing there. Our Father, we thank you so much for these who stand here in our midst today, who have taken hold of the gifts and the talents that you've given them to be teachers of young children, of older children, of even adults, but teachers nonetheless, to impart wisdom and understanding and instruction in various disciplines so that they grow, the students will grow to become responsible citizens of this community. But because they are here today, then I know, Lord God, that they carry an even greater burden and task, and that is of being a believer in Jesus Christ in the midst of so many who are not. In this I pray, Father, that you would bless these teachers to allow the light of the glory of Jesus Christ to shine in their lives, to shine forth uh, among the students, to shine forth among their colleagues and their administrations, and to let people know by their lives and by their example and by their words and even by their instruction that they trust in you for all things, that they trust in the name of Jesus Christ, that they trust in the work of Christ for salvation, and that they will always be ready to impart that truth. We thank you for our Christian teachers who, who have such a, a wonderful privilege of not only teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic and other subjects, but to be able to teach it within the context of, of understanding the Word of God and of understanding who Jesus is. And, and so what a, what a great joy it is, Lord God, to have all of these teachers here today in preparation for the day ahead, because tomorrow in some districts school begins and, and uh, others have already started, but all together, Lord God, we thank you for them and pray that they will take seriously the calling that you've given upon their lives to be a light and an example. And Lord, never let that light dim in their lives. May they always give great, great testimony of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, as well for Martine and Martha. And we ask you to bless them and their anniversary, their 25th anniversary. What a joy it is. We ask you to continue to provide for them your presence and your, and your power, Lord, and bless as well their children, Uziel, Israel, and Andy. Just, Lord, continue to bind this family closer and together. We pray for the brokenhearted in this room today. How we ask that today you would lift their hearts, that you would lift them, Lord, into the heights of your heavens and bring them, Lord God, to know that you are a God that heals, a God in which nothing is impossible for you to change and to make new. And how I pray, Father, that today we will indeed leave here different than when we came different in the sense that we leave with a greater sense of your presence, with a greater sense of your glory, with a greater sense of your power, with a greater sense of your love and mercy and grace. Oh God, thank you so much for being with us today, for never leaving us nor forsaking us, even in times of loneliness, in times of pain, in times of hurt. I pray for those who bear cancers today. Lord, I know that you can heal them today because you're still in the healing work. You still have that power. So Lord, what is it for us to bring those burdens to you and see that you can do great things in our midst? How thankful we are for this time. Continue, Lord God, to do your work in us now as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Let's thank the Lord for our teachers this morning. All right. And I can't wait for next weekend. We can get together. and We're going to be in this room with all kinds of tables everywhere. We want everybody to come. Uh, we want to fill this place and, 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 and 
break bread together, tear tortillas, whatever it is that you do, or whatever it is that we have. We just had a great time, and then we're going to spend some time worshiping the Lord in here, and, and uh, we're all going to cooperate and work together and clean enough so that when 6 o'clock comes, we're going to just have a wonderful time. So I'm looking forward, I always look forward to nights of worship because it is a time that we can just focus our attention upon the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords together. And then we have the weekend, you know, the Labor Day weekend. We don't have to rush home on a Sunday night. So most of us don't have to, but as many of us can stay and, and then just enjoy some fellowship afterwards. Uh, the first time we did this, it was so beautiful. And uh, uh, even the kids were having their worship time and they came out and they were having a worship time outside. It, it was just, you know, a moving experience. So really encourage you to, to, to set the time aside to come and worship the Lord with us. Genesis chapter 31. Let's get back into a study of the life of Jacob. Jacob's been growing in, in Christ. He's been growing in the love of Christ, growing in the, in, in the presence of, of the Lord in his life. It's about time. I mean, he's like 99 years old, right? So, right? It's about time. Yeah. It was about 70, he was about 70 years old or 77 years old when he, when he meets God. I mean, he really meets the God that he always heard about, but, but it took him a while, but he finally got it, you know, and that's good. It doesn't matter what age you are. You, you need to come to Jesus. That's the important thing, isn't it? But Jacob has spent 20 years in the household of Laban, and even though he's married to Leah and to, uh, to Rachel, and they have all their children, they're all growing up now, some of them about 20, almost 20 years old, he knows that it's time for him to leave. It's time for him to go back to the land of Canaan. Time to go actually back to Beersheba, back to the land of promise. And while he wanted to do that at the end of 14 years, Laban had his, his little request, Oh, please don't leave. You know, we'll, we'll get you, you know, some, some of your own inheritance. We'll give you some of your own livestock. And, and really it came down to Jacob staying another six years. So he had total of 20 years there, taking care, not only waiting for his two wives to have them completely so he can take them home, but then, you know, to take care of, of uh, Jacob, I, mean, I should say Laban's livestock. So it got a little complicated there in his life, and, but yet now he realizes, he hears from God and God says to him, get up, arise, and leave and go. But there's a little complication. Before they leave, Rachel... Rachel steals her father's household idols. And here's where the drama begins for us. Verse 17, we go back to verse 17 for just a moment, just to kind of pick up where we left off. Jacob rose and he set his sons and his wives on his camels. In other words, he's, about, he's ready to go. He's just, no more waiting, no more staying. He puts them on camels and then he carried away all of his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. And now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unknown to Laban the Syrian in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and he crossed the river, the river of course being the, the Euphrates. And he headed toward the mountains of Gilead, which would be on the northeast corner of, of the land of Canaan. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Jacob and his caravan now had a three-day start ahead of Laban. Not really expecting that Laban was going to come after him. But then in verse 23 it tells us that he took, this is being Laban, he took his brethren with him and he pursued Jacob for seven days' journey and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. Why is he pursuing him? Just because Jacob didn't say goodbye? Gives us an indication that Laban is going out after some blood here. And we'll see the reason why in a moment. But in verse 24, there's an intervention. It's God's intervention. 
God had come to Laban the Syrian. By the way, remember Laban is, a, is an idol worshiper. God had come to Laban the Syrian in, the, in a dream by night and he said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Be careful that you watch not only what you say but what you do with Laban because he's mine. He's mine. I mentioned drama, didn't I? I, I'm sure that that some of you are are familiar with those classic movies of the 1960s called Spaghetti Westerns. How many of you know what a Spaghetti Western is, by the way? Let's see. Come on now. I can't believe that you just don't want to tell me. I think that's what it is. You don't want to show your age. Uh, Spaghetti Westerns, come on. Who knows what they are? All right. Well, just the mention of that film genre brings... This, this will help you if you don't know. Uh, it brings to mind images of this person here, right? Y'all know who that is? Clint Eastwood. And in those Italian westerns, as they call them, or spaghetti westerns, Clint Eastwood was always known as the man with no name, dishing out his own kind of justice in the wild, untamed west. And the greatest of those movies, if we could call them great at all, because they were really cheesy movies, but, eh, you know, they were fun. People get shot up. <laughs> Bullets flying all over the place. We were talking about it earlier, you know. There's Denise would going, I'm thinking, hey, wait a minute, I thought there were only six rounds in that revolver, you know. Shot up a whole army, you know, people with one gun. But the greatest of these movies was entitled The Good and the Bad and the Ugly, right? How many of you remember that? Look, more of you now know what an Italian Western or Spaghetti Western is, right? Okay. Well, I, I, you know, I thought about that movie when I was reading this verse uh, 24, the statement that it was given in verse 24, where, where, where the Lord said to Laban, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And I thought, yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, we, we got something, we got a stirring drama going on here. And, and, and this stirring drama we've been encountering in Genesis 31 has some classic spaghetti western excitement in it, as we'll see later. We'd probably call Jacob the good. There he is, there, Jacob. By the way, I have to apologize. You can never find a picture of Clint Eastwood with a hat and the poncho and the, and the gun without that little stub of cigar, you know, right there in the mouth. I couldn't find one without it, so I just, I, I just thought, you know, I just apologize and let, let you know. Forgive me for having to use that picture. But, but anyway, Jacob, we call the good. We could call him the good, though, just like the Clint Eastwood character, he has a shady past. Isn't that Jacob? We call him good. In this scenario. And then we'd certainly want to call Laban the bad, being that he's shown himself to be a far superior deceiver than Jacob ever was. But what about the ugly? What are we going to call the ugly? And please don't think of any particular wife of Jacob. Though though we could, (laughs) from what we've learned. (laughs) Well, the ugly, that would probably be Laban's disregard of God's command. Because God told him, be careful neither to speak good or bad to Jacob. What we find here coming is that Laban tried to sound good while revealing how bad he really was. And that turned out to be kind of ugly here. But the setup to all of this was where we left off last time. That Jacob hastily picked up his family and all of his possessions and with ruthless expediency he slips away while Laban was busy shearing his sheep. Now, last time I, I asked these questions in closing. Knowing that the Lord had promised safe passage for Jacob to return home, was his fleeing from Laban without letting him know a sign that he lacked confidence in God's promises and and relied more on his wisdom and ability? A lot of people think so. A lot of people think that that Jacob just kind of sank back into the way he had been before and, and had all this kind of fear in him that, you know, he just wanted to pick up and leave. 
Now we're going to discuss that here in just a moment. The other question was, did he sneak away into the will of God instead of departing in triumph? Now what some think is that he should have just told Laban, we're going to leave, we're going to go, and God bless you, but we're, we're out of here. And so, you know, here's, you, can, you can say goodbye to your kids. What we've learned about Laban so far is that Laban didn't care about his, his daughters and he didn't care about his, his grandkids because he didn't leave them anything as an inheritance. So to think that, you know, well, if you just do the right thing and, and, and go tell him, you know, well, we're going to leave, that all of a sudden Laban is going to say, well, okay, we'll have a party then. Now see, we, we, we live in a, in a time and in a culture as well where when people are going to depart and leave us, we have a party, don't we? We have families that have left the church sometimes and we'll say, hey, well, we're going to have a little fellowship and we're going to have a little party and we're going to rejoice. Yeah, rejoice, we're just going to have a party. And the people that are leaving, they're crying because they're going to leave their friends and family. And the, and the rest are going, yes, but we're having a party for you. But we have this thing about parties, you know. So did Laban, as a matter of fact. He didn't care. So I, I'm not trying to just justify Jacob's actions here, but I want us just to think a little bit more about what he's going through after 20 years of putting up with Laban. So while the answers are debatable, we'd all agree that Jacob had probably had enough of Laban's control of things. He'd had enough of Laban changing his wages and never for the better. He'd have enough of his lies and those of his sons accusing Jacob of stealing when all along his presence had only prospered Laban and his sons. And let's not fail to mention the big one that the Lord did command Jacob to go back to his own home in the promised land. Genesis 31 verse 13, you remember this? I am the God of Bethel. This is God speaking to Jacob. I am the God of Bethel, the God of the house of the, of the Lord, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. He says, now look at this. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. I don't see anywhere in between that last statement that we see here where God says, oh, and by the way, go and tell Laban that you're going. Be a nice guy. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be, but he says, get out. Do you, did you see something here? Get up, get out, and go back. Y'all see that, right? Okay. I'm not trying to make Jacob out to be rude here. I'm just saying this is God speaking, and what is it that Jacob does? He gets up, he, goes, he gets out, and he's going back. So, now, now think about this for a moment. I am sure there are times when we want and desire to be obedient to the Lord, and in the course of taking steps to be obedient, we might realize that we could have done some things better. I mean, we're human. We do hear the Lord and we want to respond to that, but we might offend somebody along the way. It happens. We don't try to offend. We're, it's not in our nature to want to offend anybody. But sometimes if we, you know, we, we know that this is what God wants us to do, we get up and, and, and we do it. We could have done it a little better maybe. But God understands that. And so most of the time do the others that we might, might have offended. Letting others know that we're only trying to be faithful to the Lord's calling and desires for our lives. And we know that fear sometimes enters into the equation as well. Because a lot of people think that, you know, Jacob just went back into this fearful attitude, you know, he's afraid. Well, let me, let me just say this, that he, he did act in fear, and he will tell us that later on in the text, and we'll see that. But this is something that reminds us of how human men like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob really were just like us. You remember Abraham? He had those times of fear when he tells Sarah, listen, uh, when, you, when we get over here to Pharaoh, you tell Pharaoh that you're my sister. Because he was really afraid that if, if she said that he was, she was his wife, that they'd kill Abraham and take her for the harem. See, he didn't trust the Lord. Isaac did the same thing, like father, like son. But I don't see that here. 
Think about fear in this light. Is there not a proper and normal fear that we all should have? Some of you don't want to answer because you're afraid you're going to give the wrong answer. No, there is. I've often mentioned it to you. If you want to go over to the the little shopping center across the street from here, uh, but you don't want to go to the crosswalk, which you should do, by the way, because that's the law. You, You know, we have a lot of jaywalkers in this town. Don't be one. You heard it first. Because we'll come get you. But, well, we don't want you to get run over. But see, here's the thing. Let's say you just want, even at a crosswalk, you need to do what? Look both ways. Isn't that a proper fear? Because you don't want to become, you don't want to become a hood ornament for a Greyhound bus. So you just don't step out there like this. I mean, you... You're looking both ways. That's, that's a proper, normal fear. What about the fear, the, the fear that says, I'm going to do everything I can to protect my family, my home, that God has given to me, that I am to be a good steward of? There's a, a proper fear there. I, I submit to you that this is the fear that we see that Jacob has to protect his family from Laban who has been having his way and none of it has allowed Jacob to go back as he knows God wants him to go and back to his land. But what is the reason, see? What is the reasoning? What this pursuit in the deserts of the Middle East really comes down to is Laban's obsession. Not because his family is left without saying goodbye, but we finally come down to it in this text. It's his obsession with his household idols that were stolen by Rachel. It is obvious that Jacob would have nothing to do with idols, for he was taught well by his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac, and you know, of the one true God that they knew so well. And now Jacob knows that God too, the one true and living God. But Rachel and probably Leah as well were brought up in idol worship. They were brought up in Laban's house, and Laban was an idol worshiper. He had idols in his home. They were household idols that you could hold. They were even household idols you could put into a bag or put into a a secret place and hide them. And by the way, as we're going to learn, these particular household idols in those days and times were actually very valuable for families to pass on as part of inheritances. And, And we'll see the importance of that in just a moment as well. But uh, Jacob was not an idol worshiper. And I'm sure he would not have allowed that to happen. Jacob knew the one true God, and just like Adam had received the wisdom of God when he was created by the Lord and put into the garden and spent time with the Lord, there were laws there given that would later be written in stone and given to Moses. That's yet to come. But he he understood there was only one God. That's the God you serve. So he was not an idol worshiper. And throughout Jacob's time with his uncle, Laban had only paid lip service to Abraham's God. I want you to listen carefully to me. Because I think some people in the church only pay lip service to God. Just like Laban did. Much like people in the church today who may visit a church once a week, if that, but they they pay more attention to their daily idols the rest of the time. But there's a statement toward that in Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13 that says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. In other words, it isn't the proper fear that is taught about God. The fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge. It is more of teaching people about the fear of God as as if it was a terror thing, you know. But it brings people to only draw near with their mouths, to draw near with their lips, to honor Him with their lips, but their hearts aren't in it. How many times do you hear me say, we need to check our hearts here. We need to check our hearts I've never said, let's check our lips, please. 
Because it all comes down to what's in here. What's in our hearts. It's about worshiping the Lord with all of our lives, with all of what we are, with all of what we have, all of what we do. So give honor and glory to Him. As for Rachel, we can speculate as to why she had stolen her father's idols, and we can only do that because we really aren't told why she stole those idols. So, it's possible that she worshipped them as an idol worshiper as well. It's possible that she worshipped them and thought that she needed them with her. You ever... I mean, that's, that's a superstition. You know, people are superstitious. You know, some, some people carry things in their pockets because they just feel like they're more protected if they have it, right? How many of you... Don't, don't, don't answer this. I was going to say... I was going to say, how many of you have a rabbit's foot in your pocket? Please don't raise your hand because I'll come out and get you. Give me that thing right now. And this isn't, let's make a deal here, okay? No, but you know, some people carry stuff like it's some kind of good luck charm. You ever heard that? Good luck charm? What about just trusting the good God who gave us life and says, I'll be with you always? I don't need a rabbit's foot. So she might have just wanted him like to have them to... You know, to feel better about it. It might be that she thought that those idols would be the only inheritance that she could get from her father for her children. Again, these idols were like an inheritance. They were valuable. She might have even stolen them just to get back at her father, whom she felt mistreated her and her husband and her whole family for that matter. We talked about that last week a little bit. He wasn't a very good father to his daughters. It is interesting that some Jewish traditions claim that Rachel stole the idols to keep her father from idolatry. I'm not quite sure about that. But it's a nice thought. You know, it is a nice thought. I mean, they they hold Rachel in in high esteem in in the Jewish faith because she, you know, God opened her womb, first of all, so that she could give birth to Joseph. And later on, of course, she'll give birth to Benjamin. But, you know, here again, I mean, that's, again, speculation at best well in any event this is where we pick up on our stirring drama but we need to go back to verse 22 for just a moment it says Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled and then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days journey and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead I'll talk about that in a moment but God had come to Laban the Syrian and dreamed by night and said to him be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad so Laban overtook Jacob. What took 10 days for, for Jacob only took seven days to catch up with, with Jacob. And so uh, for Laban to catch up with him. So Jacob had pitched all his tents or pitched his tents in the mountains. And Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. So now we have this confrontation. So the drama begins here. They come at each other. But they have a conversation. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? That you've stolen away unknown to me, carried away my daughters like captives taken with a sword. Yeah, right, Laban, like if you really loved them. You're making Jacob out to be like a kidnapper, Right? I don't think he heard what the Lord told him. <laughs> Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and, and not tell me? For, for I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. What did he say? We could have given you a party. I think Laban was Chicano. Because we like to give parties when people go away. But look at this, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters, like if you really love them. And now you have done foolishly in so doing. Wasn't he supposed to shut up? I mean, wasn't he just neither to say good or bad? <laughs> wow. That's interesting. But then look at what he says. It is in my power to do you harm. But, but... See, he says all of these things, and then he says, Oh, but but God, the God of your father, spoke to me last night saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. So I said all that I needed to say to you before I let you know that God spoke to me. It's pretty 
conniving, isn't he? Because God told him not to speak, but he went ahead and did it. And then he said, oh, but God told me not to. You ever done that? Please don't do that. Take advantage of the situation like that. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. Now that first statement in verse 30 is, is, is true. Jacob did long to go. The only thing he's really said it that, that's true. But notice this. But why did you steal my gods? Yes, Laban was so upset when he heard that Jacob had fled with his family, his animals, and his possessions that he intended to get his way by force now. Goes after them, taking many others with him. Because you see, evil never seems to have a problem gaining a following. But a week was involved before Laban caught up with Jacob. Consider that the best that Jacob could do about 20 to 25, maybe even 30 miles a day with all the flocks that he had to keep together and all the people that were with him. But it was still possible to do it, but it just took a long time and they didn't rest very long. I mean, he crossed the Euphrates River and uh, well, Laban didn't have anything to stop him. He crossed the Euphrates River uh, up the Fertile Crescent on down into the Canaan as far as Mount Gilead and in the northeast corner of the land. By the way, the distance covered was about 300 miles. In seven days for Laban and ten days for Jacob. At last, Laban spied Jacob's encampment preparing for an onslaught. Perhaps even violent. Verse 24 again kind of gives us that indication because... Why would God intervene if not to protect Jacob and his family? So that night, Laban met the living God. Remember this idol worshiper? He meets the living God. God speaks to him in a dream. Which God? The only true God. Abraham's God. Isaac's God. Jacob's God. And he said to him in a dream, leave him alone. He's mine. Have you ever heard the expression, if you can't say anything good about somebody, don't say anything at all? Y'all heard that? Probably don't do it. No, I hope hope you do. (laughs) You can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. That's That's kind of what the Lord is saying to Laban, but he doesn't listen to God. He doesn't listen to the Lord. We ought to listen to the Lord. Let me interject here some things that the scriptures say to us about how we need to guard our mouth. For example, Proverbs 10 verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. When it comes to the way that we talk to people, the way we converse with people, we need to just be careful. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, God has given us some great gifts. One of the gifts that He's given us, one of the gifts of the Spirit, by the way, is the gift of discernment. Discernment actually begins by listening and hearing and watching. Spiritually speaking. Not not with your own filters, but with the the filters of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. So, we just restrain our lips. It's, It's wiser not to say anything at all sometimes. Or if we do say something, to try to say something that is wise. Uh, For example, Proverbs 13, verse 3, He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. There are times when we sometimes keep a little closet inside of our heads that have all these words in them. Words Words we won't normally use in front of people, but at some given time, at some given place, in some great frustration, in some place of wrath and anger, those words come out of that little box that today are so out of character for a believer in Jesus Christ. Why do they come out? I think James has a good answer to that. James is actually, this is kind of a commentary of of Proverbs 10, verse 19, the first verse I gave you. But James says, so then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And that order there is not by accident. 
It is a perfect order for us to first of all be swift to hear. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to listen to people. We need to listen to their burdens or their problems. We need to listen to their complaints or whatever it might be that they're saying. But we need to be listeners. We need to listen before we speak so that we can be wise in what we say. That's why he says be swift to hear, quick to hear, but be slow to speak, which then eventually leads to being slow to wrath. What is wrath but some deep-seated anger that will come out if we skip one of these steps. But then he says in verse 20, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So when we get angry and we begin to use perverse words, and we begin to use words that we haven't used for 20, 30 years, what does it reveal about our hearts? We're producing wrath and not righteousness. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And if I read the scriptures properly, those of us who have been cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, saved and changed, we have now put on the righteousness of Christ, yes? So we are about the righteousness of God. We're no longer about our own righteousness or our own concerns, our own cares. It's all about the Lord. We now take a back seat to God's leading and direction to the, to the Spirit of God, letting the Spirit help us in these, in these issues, you see. Laban never heard one word that God said to him, in a sense, except that he remembers what God said to him after he speaks. Because he had wrath in his heart. If it wasn't for God's intervention, where would Jacob be after this meeting? The only way that Laban's wrath could be slowed was indeed by God's intervention. And, and here's where the drama begins to grow. When, when, when Laban finally strides in, where, where Jacob had pitched his tent, surrounded by his armed servants and relatives... He begins with that statement of, of wounded dignity. No, I just want to examine what Laban said very quickly here. He said, he said in verse 26, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Oh, he's so wounded. Why did you flee secretly, uh, away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I, I might have sent you with joy and songs with timbrel and harp, and you did not allow me. To kiss my sons and my daughters, now you have done foolishly in so doing. You know, we're not told what kind of expressions that Jacob and his family had on their faces while Laban was speaking. But I have to assume that they were really stony faces like... Yeah, right. You're offended, you're hurt, yeah, uh uh-huh. In other words, they were unimpressed with Laban's tune that he was singing. They were unimpressed with his words. Why? Because they knew him all too well. They knew what Laban was all about. He was about himself. So what does Laban do? There's like a pause here, right? There's like a dramatic pause. And then, what does he do next? He does what bullies always do. He does what bullies always do. He boasts of his ability to harm Jacob. Although he confessed that God had warned him not to. Notice, it is in my power to do you harm. I can do you harm, man. I'll hurt you. I'll pound you into dust. Isn't that what bullies do? They're good at threatening. Oh, but, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Well, that went by the wind because <laughs> he didn't do what God said, did he? 
So now his next statement was an indirect acknowledgement that Jacob had caused to depart and that he, he, Laban, could not really dispute it. So he says, now you have surely gone because you greatly longed for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? That last statement is the reason why he chases Jacob. Why did you steal my gods? Now it's been said that behind the image or the idol there lurks the demon. Think about it. In other words, the worship of an idol gives a demon a hold upon a devotee of that idol. You might be thinking, but is there a spirit world? Yeah. Something that the Lord has warned us about from Genesis to Revelation. Something that becomes very clear to us in the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul speaks about putting on the whole armor of God, because it tells us there that, he, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Against spiritual wickednesses in high places against the rulers of darkness put on the whole armor of God that's a dimension we cannot see but exists very much in reality and what was Laban's cry why did you steal my gods? Now, think about that. What mighty gods they must have been. What mighty gods they were. <clears throat> gods that could be stolen. Gods that could be packed up like old pots and pans and put in, stuffed into a bag. Gods that could be bounced and jostled over 300 miles without saying a word or making a whimper. How sad, listen please, listen, how sad that Laban cried out for his gods while the very voice of the true and living God resounded in his own soul from the night before. God spoke to him and yet he cries out for his gods. How deceived and how deluded Laban was. Now, we need to realize that Jacob, of course, knew nothing of what Rachel had done, and he might not have been so confident as he was going to be now. Listen to verses 31 through 35. But Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid. Notice, notice the confession here. And we're going to talk about this in a moment. But he confesses. He says, I was afraid. But we need to understand why. He says, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. So look at the confidence that he has because he doesn't know what Rachel did. He said, well, with whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. Now go ahead and search us. You don't even need a search warrant. Go ahead. Just look. Look at my tent. Look at everybody's tent. If you find it, it's yours. Take it home. Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. And then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. And now Rachel had taken the household idols, we knew that, put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I, I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. In other words, it was that time of the month for her, and so at least that's what she said. And so he searched, but he did not find the household idols in Rachel's tent. By this time, now Jacob had to be getting pretty angry with what's going on. And yet he kept his composure. 
That's a question we need to ask ourselves. When we find ourselves in a tremendously frustrating situation, are are we going to keep our composure as believers in Jesus Christ? Can we? Can we? Do you know how we can? Because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God. We have the presence of Christ. We have the Word of God. We have the wisdom of God. If we ask for it, we have everything we need to deal with unjust frustrations. Now, Rachel also was, was probably frightened when her dad went into the, into the tent, but, but she stayed calm even during the search, and yet she was pretty guilty. She stole the idols, didn't she? But Jacob's confession in verse 31 is significant because it is an arguable statement. He said, I was afraid. But did he reveal a lack of faith or was his fear justified and allowed him to do what was necessary to keep himself and his family from harm? Did we not call that a proper fear? A normal fear? And now after 20 years of pent-up frustrations, 20 years of taking all this garbage from Laban, Jacob lets him have it. Look at verse 36. Then Jacob was angry. We get angry sometimes, don't we? But follow along. Jacob was angry and he rebuked Laban. And and Jacob answered and he said to Laban, What is my trespass? Where did I go into your stuff and take it out? And steal it from you. Where where is my trespass? What is it? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? You notice that Jacob realizes that this whole pursuit was not about the kids leaving and the daughters leaving and, and the possessions being taken out and Jacob leaving. It was about those stinking idols. What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? But notice what he says. Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. Let me see it. These 20 years, I have been with you. 20 years, Laban. I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. I took care of them as if they were mine, but I knew they were yours. That which was torn by beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. I brought you mine. If, 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 a, if a wild beast ate one of the, the lambs or, or chewed it up, I, I didn't go and take it to you. I gave you one of mine. That's what he's saying here. And there I was. In the day, the drought consumed me. And the frost by night. And my sleep departed from my eyes. But I was faithful for you. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. He says it again. Isn't he frustrated? 20 years, Laban! Anybody been that frustrated for 20 years? Don't raise your hand, please. 20 years! I served you 14 years for your two daughters and 6 years for your flock. And you've changed my wages 10 times. And really never for the better. But here's the important verse. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, which is really the same as saying the God of Isaac. Who did Isaac fear? The God of Abraham. (laughs) Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me. If he had not been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Jacob had taken his job serving 
Laban seriously. He watched over the livestock of Laban in the heat of the day, in the cold of the night, when he wanted to and when he didn't want to, when he was tired and when he wasn't tired. And when livestock was killed by wild animals, Jacob took the loss. And this, folks, this is the true picture of a faithful and true shepherd and pastor. And it is, in fact, a type of the shepherd who is Christ. Think about it. It is a picture of someone watching over the flock that God has entrusted to them. Paul said as much to the Ephesian elders in Miletus when he was leaving and departing that particular area to go back or to go to Jerusalem. And in preparation of his leaving Ephesus, he said this, He said, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. You see, a shepherd in the church today is just an under-shepherd to the true shepherd who is Jesus. But as under-shepherds, we have one mission, and that is to feed you the food which is the Word of God, to feed you, to care for you by giving you the truth of God's Word. And Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves. He's speaking to elders, which means he's speaking to the leadership of the church. He says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I want you to realize how serious it is to shepherd the flock of God. How serious it is. It it becomes serious for us as pastors because it isn't our church, it's his church. Because it was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Purchased with the blood of Christ. And I would be doing you a disservice if I did not teach you the Word of God. If all I did was get up here and show you pictures of Clint Eastwood. And that's all you got. I hope you just got, got your attention. I want you to hear what God's Word has to say to us. And to you. But Paul goes on to say this, which should be important to us today. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. In among the flock. What do we call them? Wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep, but they're not. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. There are people today who will go into churches and try to steal steal people to go to their churches or to go to their groups or their Bible studies or whatever, all for the sake of them having people come to them, not to Jesus. Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. There have been a lot of tears over 30 years in this place. Because we don't want to be wrong before God. I don't want to say anything. I do not want to say anything that will compromise Jesus Christ before you. So now, brethren, I commend you to God, the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Jesus himself would be the example of this when he said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jacob, in essence, was saying, Laban, I gave my life for your sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and, and, and the wolf catches the sheep and, and scatters them. 
If it was only about being a pastor for money, <laughs> that's sad. It really is sad. It's not what it's about. The hireling flees, he says. Because he's a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. So once again, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Before we leave today, I just want to ask you, I know I've asked you to pray for other things today and to keep those things in prayer. But I want to ask you to keep this at the forefront of all of your prayers. I want you to pray for pastors and for church leaders for hours here at this church. Especially, but I want you to pray for pastors and church leaders that are fulfilling the ministry that God has entrusted to them and to the flock that they are overseeing. Feeding them. And by the way, warning them. I don't know that there is a weekend or a Wednesday night that as we go through the scriptures, you aren't warned from this pulpit about things in this world that we need to watch out for. It is truly important because they are leading God's people either toward the true and living God or away from Him. It is my prayer that all I do week in and week out is to lead you to the one true and living God and to Jesus Christ. Whatever day I begin to lead you away from Him, that's the day I need to get out of here. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I will not lead you to any other thing or person. I can only lead you to Jesus Christ. That's my commitment to God and to you and to the leadership of this church. It is a battle not only from the outside, but also from within because wolves are rising up from within the church with their doctrines and demons that they're teaching. And it's happening today. I've talked a lot about it. I hope you've listened. But the most important thing, going back to Jacob, and we're going to close with this, but the most important thing in Jacob's speech that day was the way that he gave honor to the Lord. The way that he gave honor to the Lord. He said, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. He maintained his disciplined witness before Laban of the God of Abraham. And folks, I've even seen commentators criticize Jacob for having not said... Oh, but he never said that, that God was his God. Do you know why that is? And I thought about that question. Why did Jacob say, unless the God of my father and the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, <clears throat> God has seen my affliction. He never said my God. Why? Because he is witnessing to Laban, who was an idol worshiper, who needed to realize that there was only one true God who his relative Abraham knew, whom his relative Isaac knew, and who Jacob knew. And he needed to know as well. He was pointing to that God so that Laban would open his eyes. Please don't criticize Jacob. We sometimes get the little, you know, well, we have to say, yeah, look at that. He doesn't mention him as his God. We know he's his God. Laban, on the other hand, doesn't know him and needs to know him as the God of Abraham. These are his relatives. And all the provision that came to Laban was through the God of Jacob. And that's the only reason he wanted to keep Jacob in Haran because he was being blessed by the God of Jacob. Jacob leaves no more blessing unless 
God becomes the God of Laban. We sometimes think that, we, you know, well, I, I, I like the God of my, my neighbor, or I like the God of, you know, my, the God of my, my relative, you know. Well, He can be your God too. All you need to do is give your life to Jesus Christ. All you need to do is open your heart and let Jesus come in. But you can receive His blessings too. Why are we, why are we acting as if, you know, wow, he's, that person's God. Well, then He can be your God too. So what is our witness to maintain in these last days? I'm going to close with this. I know I've gone a little bit, a little over time, but they'll wait for you over there at the restaurant, cafe. What are we supposed to do to maintain our witness? And what is our witness in these last days? I'll leave you with five verses very quickly. Five verses of the Apostle Paul in his last letter written, which was 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, the most personal letter that, Tim, that, that Paul writes expresses in his heart the mission, the ministry, the work of every believer. Not just Timothy as a pastor, an elder, but to all of us. Paul says, I charge you therefore before God the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. That's a reminder that Jesus is coming <clears throat> with purpose to judge. He says, preach the word. Be ready or be instant in season and out of season. Convince, which means to convict, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's today. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. In other words, not turn toward the living God, but away from Him. Lastly, he says, but you be watchful in all things. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Are we going to have them? Of course we are. We talked about it today. The afflictions that everyone goes through. The burdens, the trials, the brokenheartedness over one thing or another. There are afflictions as well. Jacob had afflictions for 20 years in the house of Laban. But he says, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and fulfill your ministry. Fulfill it. It's like you have, a, you have an assignment at work to fulfill you have an assignment that is an eternal assignment to fulfill that ministry until the day of Christ. Whatever that ministry is. We all have that ministry which is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To let the gospel be lived out in us. To let others know that there is hope in this hopeless world. There is light to shine forth in this dark world. And there is fruit to be born from the planting of the good seed on the good soil of faith. And so, let's fulfill our ministries now. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you.